Well, last Sunday, uh, we kicked off the year with what I think was a, a pretty compelling presentation from author and global entrepreneur Liz Bohannon, which is really kind of setting the tone for our entire January series. And uh, Liz shared with us that we, especially in North America, uh, are living through what she would describe as an epidemic of loneliness. You know, that the majority of people, you know, even those who maybe appear most successful or seem to have the most connections, or especially people in positions of responsibility or leadership, that they actually report feeling lonely most of the time. And it's, it's kind of a heavy reality to process, but one that I suspect probably too many of us felt ourselves relating to as well. But Liz also shared with us the good news that it doesn't have to be this way. That while loneliness is, is currently at like epidemic levels, loneliness is not inevitable. That there is another way to live, another way that we're designed to live as we are actually created and made for community and connection and, and interdependent relationships. And Liz shared with us how we can see this most clearly portrayed in Jesus. And that's where we want to spend our attention uh, throughout the rest of this series, looking at Jesus and how we can learn from him and follow him in order to live life not alone. That's kind of what this, this series is all about. Now, one of the features that Liz shared about what it often takes to sort of sidestep the loneliness of our age is that she said that it usually requires us to go first. You know, that authentic community um, or in-depth friendships, they don't usually happen by accident. They don't just fall into our laps, but that there are steps we can take in our lives in order to, to create and cultivate and to, to nurture these kinds of relationships. And so today, um, what I want to do is consider what we can learn from Jesus, particularly about going first in community. Um, now, although it doesn't actually come first in our Bibles, the first gospel account of the life of Jesus that was ever written is the gospel according to Mark. Now, one of the things I enjoy about uh, the book of Mark is that it, it sort of comes at us at an action-packed pace. At 16 chapters, it's actually the shortest of the, the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. And out of this, like, apparent eagerness to, to rapidly capture and articulate the good news of Jesus, uh, the writer Mark, throughout the entire gospel, he just kind of keeps going and diving into the action chapter after chapter. Um, but one of the reasons that commentators believe Mark doesn't seem to want to waste any time as he sort of plows through the highlights of the life of Jesus is because Mark was writing um, to the non-Jewish audience of the Roman world, a world that was thoroughly accustomed to a fast-paced, kind of consumer-driven, entertainment-oriented, kind of action-packed way of life. Uh, you know, something that is extremely foreign to us in the 21st century, right? No, these were the people who Mark was writing to, a people and a culture kind of living and moving at a pace that certainly had them at risk of missing out on Jesus and probably also at risk at missing out on Jesus-like community. And so even uh, as Mark in his gospel, again, he gets kind of right into the action. 
What I want to do today is, is look at what some of that earliest action of the Gospel of Mark entails. We'll look at a few episodes in these first few chapters of Mark and to see sort of the significance and the primacy for Jesus of going first in order to experience community in our lives, in order to live life not alone. So if you have a Bible or, or a Bible app you have access to this morning, if you want to follow along a little more directly, uh, you could turn to uh, Mark chapter 1. Well, the first thing I want to look at is kind of the first action in the story right after Jesus comes on the scene, declaring that the time has come for the good news of the kingdom of God to be proclaimed. And look at what happens next. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Then it says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now as Mark kicks off the action of Jesus coming on the scene. Jesus, who he already declared in the very first verse, was this long-anticipated Messiah, the anointed one that was coming to make all things right in the world. The first action that Mark records is of Jesus finding some friends that he can invite to go on the journey with him. You know, as the savior of the world, you know, the one who we'd assume could be capable of handling life on his own, Jesus actually starts his saving work by inviting a couple of friends, not just to join him on the journey, but frankly, to fully share in what God was up to in his life. And we see this kind of come to, to further fruition uh, just a couple chapters later uh, when Jesus chose and invited what became known as his group of 12 disciples. This is now in Mark 3, verse 13. It says, As Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to, to him those he wanted, and they came to him. It says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. I love a couple of the phrases here uh, where it says, you know, Jesus called those he wanted. What we see here clearly in Jesus is a want for community. And out of that want, a going first to invite that community into his life. But more than just a want, I believe what we see here is that through the humanity of Jesus, Jesus shares in the need that we all have for community when it says that they might be with him. You know, that Jesus would have people to share life with. That Jesus would have people to count on, have people to laugh with, have people to cry with. That Jesus would have people when the action of his life would get most intense or even feel like too much to carry on his own. Friends, when it comes to going first, in order to live and experience life not alone, the first thing we see in Jesus is that Jesus goes first in embracing companions. That Jesus goes first in inviting companions into his life. That's like the first thing we see in the action of the Gospel of Mark. So on this first point, um, what about you? Would you say you have a real companions in your life? 
And at the start of this year, might there be a small step you could take to actually embrace a deeper experience of companionship, to go first in inviting companions into your life and your journey? You know, what friend could you invite for coffee um, to share about some of your hopes for the year ahead or the kind of relationship you'd like to deepen with them? You know, what family or friends could you invite over for dinner or make a habit of sharing meals together? You know, rather than falling into the trap that we often fall into of just commiserating that, you know, we never get an invitation. Or if you don't know where to start, um, what about trying one of our life groups? Going first to take the risk to, to sign up for a group and, and explore the kind of community that can be nurtured when we make regular space to share our lives with others. Or if you're already in a life group, getting to experience the gift of that kind of community. Um, what if you were to go first in encouraging your life group to consider, are there any other companions we could invite into the mix? Um, is the first thing we see from Jesus when it comes to going first, that Jesus goes first in embracing companions. Now, the second thing we see here in the early parts of the action of Mark's gospel is that not only does Jesus go first in embracing companions, but he goes first in initiating conversations, particularly in initiating conversations of significance. You know, if you were to read Mark's entire gospel for yourself, you'd see the countless times Jesus is the one kind of initiating meaningful conversations with anyone he's with. But we can already get a glimpse of this in an episode right in uh, Mark chapter 2, um, in a situation where Jesus was, was responding after he forgave the sins of a paralyzed man. We're picking this up in Mark 2 verse 5, where it starts here by saying, what Jesus saying to the paralyzed man, he says, son... Your sins are forgiven. Um, then it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Then it says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? You see, this paralyzed man, um, he was brought to Jesus in hopes that he would be healed of his paralysis, which eventually was. Jesus healed him. But the first thing Jesus does is declare that the man's sins are forgiven. It's a, it's a bold declaration, and it immediately changes the temperature in the room. You know, as it says, these uh, religious experts, they, they began to scowl. Our other translations say they were murmuring under their breath, questioning whether Jesus had the right to say that. And what I want us to notice here is what Jesus does in response, in the room with everyone present. That he actually asks them, he responds by asking them a direct and incisive question in a desire to bring the entire kind of conversation to the heart of the matter. When Jesus says to them, why are you thinking these things? Now this you know, this whole episode and experience, it may seem like a sort of a Jesus-only instinct, um, a Jesus-only reaction, a Jesus-only possibility. But I want you to consider, you know, have you ever had an experience where um, you've been in a situation or among a group of friends where you sensed that there was something deeper that could be addressed? Maybe something deeper below the surface of the conversation. You know, maybe that someone was holding back in some way 
that there was like a question behind the question or a comment behind the comment, or maybe that someone didn't seem to be doing as fine, you know, as they said they were doing. And in those situations, you know, what, what do you do? Because I think what we can start to see in Jesus in this brief episode and then, you know, countless times throughout the gospel is that Jesus wasn't afraid to sort of get to the heart of the conversation. Jesus wasn't afraid to, to ask a tough question that could help deepen the conversation. You know, that when it comes to truly living not alone at the deepest levels, what we see here is that Jesus goes first in initiating conversations, especially conversations of significance. So in your relationships, in your conversations, you know, how is that going? How would you gauge the level of depth of the conversations you normally have in your relationships? You know, and whether it's at your workplace or in your, with your class, uh, a group of friends on a group chat, you know, how could you be someone who goes first and help inspi- helping to inspire the conversation, you know, to, be, to go beyond sports, weather, or, or just current events? Um, with your friends or your life group where you wished the conversation would get, you know, beneath the surface more often, how could you go first in kind of opening up more vulnerably? The conversations around the dinner table that kind of consistently tend to drift towards criticism or gossip about others, how can you go first in helping redirect the conversation toward love? You know, in the pains or difficulties in our relationships, Um, or maybe you've caused hurt or you've uh, experienced hurt from someone else, how can you go first um, in confession or sometimes in confrontation in order to get to the heart of the issue? That's the kind of going first we see in Jesus, that Jesus goes first to initiate meaningful conversations. Now, finally for today, um, The third thing I want us to see here in this early action of the Gospel of Mark is that in addition to going first to embrace companions and going first to initiate conversations, um, what we see in Jesus is that Jesus kind of goes first and leads the way in resisting the false or short-term sense of connection that comes through a crowd. Um, We we see this right away uh, in chapter 1. This is following the first miracles and healings recorded by Mark. Kind of in the the aftermath the next day, we pick it up here in verse 35 where it says, um, Very early this next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Then it says, Simon and Jesus' companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Basically, what they're saying with enthusiasm is, Jesus, because of what you've done yesterday and your miracles and your healings, like everyone's looking for you. Everyone wants to be around you. We have a following. We've kind of, we've made it. And look at what Jesus says in response. It says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. Let us go somewhere else. Um, what I want us to notice here is that in a moment when most of us, like the disciples, would be inclined to think like, this is our moment. You know, we've made it. Look at the the following we've established. We can kind of find our place in the crowd. We can find our belonging in the crowd and kind of have this sense of we're never going to be alone again. Um, 
in that kind of situation, Jesus actually resisted kind of the false or temporary connection that crowds tend to provide. And instead, he wanted to keep moving on his journey, keep moving in his primary purpose along with his close companions. We see a very similar sentiment, again, just a couple chapters later. Um, before Jesus appoints his 12 disciples in the, in the passage I read earlier, I'll, I'll read this actually from the message translation where in Mark 3, 7, it says, Jesus went off with his disciples to the sea to get away, though a huge crowd from Galilee trailed after them. You know, what we see consistently throughout the life and work of Jesus is that, well, Jesus certainly didn't ignore the crowds, you know, often making space to speak to them and teach them um, to heal and provide for them, to attend to their needs, Jesus also didn't entrust his primary sort of sense of identity and belonging to the crowd. Instead, Jesus often sought to get away with his friends where he could continue to tap into and nurture the kind of um, deeper and authentic and interdependent community that can really only be experienced in intimate, up close and personal friendships. I think so that he wouldn't one day find himself all alone. What we see here is that Jesus goes first in not settling for a crowd. And friends, I think this one actually has huge implications um, for us in our day, and especially when you consider the factors contributing to sort of the epidemic of loneliness that so many of us experience. Because we actually live in a day where we have more opportunities to feel connected and networked than ever before in human history. And because of our mobility and our technology, lots of us kind of feel like we have lots of acquaintances, maybe a number of social circles. You know, we have lots of friends or followers on social media. And yet how often do we still feel lonely in the midst of it all? You know, as though our lives can be surrounded by people and yet somehow we're still all alone. And if you can relate to that feeling, I think one of the things here we can learn from Jesus is that we need to be aware of that and we need to be mindful and deliberate about not settling for a crowd, not letting our connections to crowds uh, replace our need for deeper companionship. And this requires us living counterculturally again, to follow Jesus and in investing in deeper levels of connection, to go beyond the crowd, ensuring we have some consistent close companions who we connect with regularly, you know, to actually sometimes step away from the crowds, to have enough margin in our life, to more spontaneously respond to our friends' needs, you know, to spend less time present to the crowds on our screens and more time present to the few people that might be right in front of us um, and to appreciate that like Jesus, there may be um, some events or some circles or some activities or programs or some crowds that we sometimes actually just have to say no to in order to actually say yes to truly living not alone. Friends, I think these are some of the things we can take away, particularly from this early action of the gospel of Mark, the action where Jesus went first in creating community, in wanting to be a person and part of a community where they didn't live life alone. And we see how Jesus uh, 
went first in embracing companions and went first in initiating meaningful conversations and went first in not settling for just a crowd. Now I know um, the idea of going first can feel scary. Um, and frankly, we all have different personalities and different past experiences in our relationships. That means we all have different kinds of obstacles and opportunities in front of us when it comes to whatever going first might look like in our life. And it can look, kind of take a variety of forms. For me, and as I've been reflecting on this, I've been reminded of how I have so many ways I need to keep growing and actually making rearrangements in my life if I'm not gonna miss out on more of this Jesus-like community and frankly, live life less lonely in my own life in the year ahead. But at the same time, as I've, I've reflected, <coughs> excuse me, on what it means to go first, uh, I've thought about some of those experiences in my life where I've seen the risk of going first really paying off. And as one example, I was especially reflecting on this um, over the holiday season as, as I re was remembering about when our family first moved into our current neighborhood 12 years ago. As is usually the case when you move somewhere new, we didn't know anybody on the street. And as you do, you start sort of observing, observing the different people and personalities. You know, we saw on our street, there was a variety of ages and stages of life uh, represented um, and different personalities. Some people that were eager to kind of come and talk to you or introduce themselves, others that seemed content to drive by, maybe even without a wave. Um, but we did kind of move in wanting to have some deliberacy to try to get to know our neighbors or maybe cultivate a little bit of community among our neighbors. And so within our first year, when the Christmas season came around, we had this idea of what if we threw what we thought might be the first ever Keystone Drive Christmas party. Thinking what if we were actually to extend invitations to the entire street? And we decided to do that. We dropped an invite in every mailbox on the street, inviting every neighbor on our street to a Christmas party kind of open house. And, you know, as we had sort of, once we had the courage uh, of the idea and, you know, put out the invites, you know, there was some adrenaline. It was kind of fun and exciting. But once the invites were out there, um, the terrifying thoughts and feelings set in. As we were struck with thinking, like, what on earth are we doing? You know, is anyone even going to be interested? Is anyone going to want to come? Are people thinking we're kind of crazy for, for trying to host this kind of party? Or that we're uh, too presumptuous in going first, maybe as the newbies on the street? You know, what if we, there are some backstories to some of these neighbors that we don't know about. What if some of them don't like each other? They show up at the same time and the whole thing's like a gong show or a blow up. These were some of the scary thoughts that came into our minds. Well, that was 12 years ago. Um... And now having just got to celebrate our 10th annual Keystone Christmas party, having missed a couple for COVID, and I've got a photo here. Um, this photo is from a couple years ago as I didn't, I didn't take any more recently. Um, but as we celebrated again this year, inviting all of our neighbors over for a Christmas party, it made me think how Lindsay and I couldn't imagine what it would be like to not get to do life in some of the pretty close connection and community that we enjoy with quite a few of our neighbors some of whom we, we kind of enjoy and experience just like family. You know, they're people who uh, lend us tools or we share baking supplies with when we're low. 
There's a number of people who help me with the many mechanical things around the house that I am thoroughly incompetent for. Um, you know, people who have shared with us about some of their anxieties or when they've gone through uh, health challenges or lost a loved one, we've been able to help care for or even sometimes offer prayer for. You know, people who invited me to officiate their daughter's wedding. People who drop off food, sometimes just because. People who look after each other's kids. People who call and text occasionally just to check in on how each other are doing. You know, people who we've come to enjoy serving dinners with regularly at our homeless shelter in our St. Catharines location, getting to be part of a beautiful purpose in the world together. You know, these have been uh, just some of the payoffs that we've got to experience out of that first risk of going first. <clears throat> now, going first um, certainly doesn't have to look like throwing a streetwide party, and, and frankly, most of the time, it won't. Like I said, I've been thinking about all kinds of small but significant ways I would need to keep tweaking my life um, to really grow in experiencing this not alone, Jesus-like kind of community. But that's kind of my question for us this morning. You know, what's one small step we could all take this month to live life less alone? You know, what friend can you invite out for a conversation of significance. You know, what night of your week, or maybe just even once a month you could start with, that you could carve out to invite someone over to dinner to build community and relationship. You know, maybe it's to sign up uh, for a life group, or sign up for our Start the Party social event at the end of the month, or maybe to invite someone new into your life group. Or maybe your go first next step is simply to come back and join us again next week. To keep getting to know a few more people in this community, and to keep exploring Jesus in the context of this community. And friends, wherever we find ourselves in this conversation, um, or wherever you find yourself in this experience of, a, of an epidemic of loneliness, as I wrap up, uh, the thing that I most want us to hear this morning is the real good news is that Jesus went first for you. That Jesus um, went first in all of these ways to show us the way, to show us that they're possible and to empower us to follow him. And then Jesus went first in the greatest way, who we see and put our trust in as the representation of God who came to go first in giving up his life for the sake of the world, to show us the full extent of God's love and then who rose again to give us his spirit, all as part of an unending promise to never leave us or forsake us so that we would never have to live life alone. That's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus has done, and that is how Jesus has gone first for you. So can we follow him a little bit more together? And when it comes to our relationships and community, can we uh, go first in embracing some companions? Can we go first in initiating meaningful conversations? And can we go first in not settling for just being a crowd together? Um, that's my hope and that's my prayer 
for us in this series. And as we end our message today, uh, we have the privilege and the gift of getting to hear a couple of stories of two young people in our community who uh, today are going first in their relationship with Jesus through the celebration of baptism. So may we be inspired by Grace's story and Isaac's story of going first in what it means to put trust and faith in Jesus through the baptism stories. Check these out 